today on Ag News Daily. It's going to be a little bit of a struggle here until we get the futures market into a bit of a more normal market. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I am Madison Honkamp here with Miss Delaney Howell. Delaney, how are you doing? I'm pretty good, Madison. I am wrapping up my trip in Scottsdale or Phoenix, Arizona right now, and I'm not looking forward to coming home. I heard the weather there is cold and snowy. No, it's snowing right now. I had to walk back from class in the snow. Ugh, no, thank you. No, thank you. And it's it's kind of coming down hard. It's not just the like flurries. No, it's mm-hmm. snowing. <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping my flights don't get messed up for today. Although I guess there are worse places to get stuck than Phoenix, Arizona in the middle of Iowa winter. Yeah, that's definitely true. You could, you're warm right now. I am. Yeah, it's been nice. We went hiking this morning, and it's uh, it's actually pretty cold for Phoenix for the time of the year. It's like 55, 60, but the sun is shining today. It does not make me want to go home to the Iowa snow, that is for sure. Yeah, no, and I think it's supposed to snow the rest of this week, I think. I think Maybe. so, too, unfortunately. I know. Hmm. The weather. (laughs) So what news do you have today, Delaney? Yeah, I've got quite a bit of news for today, Madison. Um, We definitely know that we are going to see another round of trade talks go on this week between the U.S. and China. We've got U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer and also Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin. They are heading to Beijing later this week for upper-level cabinet talks to start on Thursday and Friday. We're, of course, under that March 1st deadline when President Trump will most likely slap on another $250 billion worth of tariffs on Chinese goods. President Trump had uh, proposed to originally talk to President Xi when he headed to North Korea later this week, but it doesn't sound like that's going to happen. So hopefully we see some good things come out this week on Thursday and Friday. And I know a couple of folks were even heading down as early as, I believe, today, um, one of the the Trump administration cabinet members was heading down today, but I don't believe he had a lot of clout. So we will hopefully see some things come out later this week. Yeah, and I even think they were meeting today about talking mm-hmm. about for the budget for the wall. Yes, I believe you're right. I believe, yes, we've got more um, shutdown news. Well, the shutdown could go into effect again on Friday, which would mean USDA, FDA, those two ag entities or ag-related entities, their funding, their short-term funding ends on Friday. So if we don't see some sort of law uh, proposal or or, um, funding bill come out before that, we go back into government shutdown. Yeah, and then I think it was on Twitter maybe Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. Trump did say he is really urgent for that wall. Yes, so. I we'll have seen that, that too. Yeah. Yep. I'm not sure this is a an area he's going to be willing to budge on, but we'll see. Definitely not. No. What else were you watching in the news today? The shutdown's definitely on the top of mind for many folks. Yeah, that's a lot of what I found today, but then kind of trade-wise... Um, for the American Soybean Association, they are trying to kind of urge Congress to end the tariffs, especially for the Chinese market. Um, and 
the ASA president, um, Davy Stevens, he did say he wants to kind of find an agreement to end the 90-day period that weren't for the tariffs with China and to kind of get those U.S. soybean imports moving um, for those farmers. So, so yeah, they're just kind of trying to get those tariffs gone, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, this report does say that even with the the purchase that China did make for soybeans, I believe it was about 6.5 million tons, it's just not kind of helping with like the damages that mm-hmm. were done with the soybean industry since these tariffs were since the tariffs started. Yeah, absolutely. And we know now that Brazil and Argentina, they're both heading into, they're, they're uh, pretty close to being completely planted. We know harvest is, has started in some parts of Brazil that have a faster maturing crop. So looks like the opportunity to export U.S. soybeans at this time is not super ideal. Not probably going to happen. Yes, and that is definitely a large impact for our soybean farmers, especially here in Iowa. Yes, absolutely. I think it's like um, two out of every three rows of soybeans heads to China on a good year, on a normal, typical exporting year. Oh, geez. So probably not this year, but... uh, Back then. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Well, speaking of Brazil, we've seen Brazilian food processors Marfrig Global Foods South America and Minerva South America, they announced on Friday that they're planning to sell, or that all seven of their plants are planning to sell beef into Japan. Their Uruguay plants have all been authorized to export fresh beef to Japan, and that ended basically a 19-year hiatus of fresh beef between those two nations. Um, Both of those two countries, too, have some U.S. presence. U.S.-based National Beef Packing Company, which is majority owned by Marfrig, is a leading exporter of chilled beef from the United States to to Japan. And so now with these new permits, new export permits, they're also going to be able to cater to the Japanese market via Uruguayan operations. And and the company announced today that they're going to continue leveraging their knowledge and experience of its commercial teams in both Chicago and Tokyo, and that they were going to continue to supply that fresh, great beef that the Japanese consumer is expecting. That's that's great, and especially with these kind of the protein markets like that, a lot more people are able to buy those proteins Mm -hmm. and as countries kind of develop further with their economy. Absolutely. And um, speaking of Brazilian news, I've got another quick little piece here. We, of course, know on Friday we had the WASD report come out and didn't really touch too much on it here on the podcast on Friday about the cotton markets, but we've got Brian Grossman today instead of Ted Zayner from the Zayner Group. Still a great conversation coming up here with Brian, but he is kind of our cotton guy here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Between him and Ashley Arrington, they kind of take over that space. And today we saw, well, actually the WASD report, and then today we saw some news about cotton production here, both here in the United States and in Brazil. For the United States, as Brian will talk about here in just a little while, Cotton production is expected to potentially take up some acres that would usually be um, grown into soybean production. Obviously, trade has not been ideal, but cotton, you know, acreage-wise, 
they're expected to see an increase. However, Brian is a little unsure of that himself, as cotton markets have also been hit pretty hard from the Chinese trade war. Farmers are expected, this is according to USDA reports, to plant about 3% more cotton this year, in part because of relatively lower soybean prices, which I think is no surprise to anyone. Um, According to the National Cotton Council's annual survey of planting intentions, farmers will plant about 14.45 million acres of cotton this year, including almost 8 million acres in Texas, which is a huge cotton-producing state there. And assuming that trade disputes get resolved this year, U.S. cotton exports are expected to hit 17.4 million bales this year, which is up about 2 million bales from 2018. But 2019 exports could be closer to about 16.5 million bales if we continue seeing trade disputes with China. Another piece of information, I think, to factor into this puzzle, especially if we have some cotton growers listening, is the Brazilian cotton harvest. While corn remains, you know, a major crop, especially when you look at the safrina corn crop, that second crop that gets planted in Brazil, a lot of farmers this year are looking at cotton to grow in their Mato Grosso area, which is a pretty key agricultural production state. Over the past two years, this area has seen cotton cotton planting increase by nearly a third. So it looks like if we do plant more cotton this year, we're going to have a competitor there in Brazil, especially if we see tariffs and sea trade continue to dominate the headlines. Currently, there is a 25% tariff on U.S. cotton, which makes Brazilian cotton all the more attractive to Chinese importers. Seems like it's going to be a crazy year for cotton. <laughs> it is. It is going to be a crazy year for a lot of ag commodities, and soybeans have definitely yeah. taken the uh, taken the limelight, but I think a lot of other ag commodities have been impacted pretty heavily by this as well, and cotton is definitely one that gets, I think, left in the, in the background a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't really hear a lot about cotton. I cut sometimes. I honestly forget that it's a crop and it's not man-made <laughs> just because yep. it's it's grown and um, it's in clothes and normally in, you know, all most clothes are yep. man-made. So I don't yep. even think about it. Yep, absolutely. And we don't grow it here in Iowa, so exactly. out of sight, out of mind. But, well, Madison, the last piece of news I had to share for today was, again, on the trade front, but that is that Senator Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota and a couple other folks are working together to reintroduce the Freedom to Export to Cuba Act. So currently, U.S. farmers are able to sell soybeans, poultry, corn, and other ag commodities to Cuba, but lawmakers are wanting to make sure that the trade embargo and all restrictions are completely lifted, quotas, tariffs, etc. So they're reintroducing this Freedom to Export to Cuba Act and hoping that this will allow the U.S. to lift all embargoes, and would they're valuing it at somewhere around $2 billion to increase exports to Cuba. So not a huge market, but definitely one that would make an impact on farmers' bottom lines. Yes, exactly. Yes. Well, Madison, do you have any other news today, or should we hop over and check out the markets? I actually have just two kind of fun pieces of news. Oh, let's hear them. I like fun news. Yeah, to end this um, for our news. The first one I have is this app called Tutter. I'm not sure if you if we've talked about this on the podcast before, but it's 
basically like Tinder, but for cattle. Ooh, do tell more. I like it. (laughs) Yeah, so British farmers are using this app. And so farmers will kind of upload accounts for their bulls and then obviously their heifers and cows to kind of so they can match genetics Mm -hmm. to see to find the best genetics for it. And it even has raised almost $3 million from investors. And it kind of looks like they're trying to make another app for sheep, possibly. Hmm. That's cool. I love that idea. Tinder for cows. I thought it was funny because that's just such an out-of-the-box way of thinking about things. I love it. I'm going to have to Google that and see if we can get them on for a Tech Tuesday. That would be an awesome interview to just kind of see how they thought about doing that. Mm-hmm. And this last piece of news that I have, Delaney, is our nominations are now open for the annual Iowa's Best Burger Contest. Oh, yes. Um, this is in the 10th year, and it is sponsored by Iowa Beef Industry Council and the Iowa Cattlemen's Association. So, listeners, if you have an idea for the 2019 Best Burger in Iowa, um, you can send in your nominations, and details and forms can be found at the Iowa Beef Industry Council's website. So that's iabeef.org, and the winners will be announced on May 1st. All right. Well, I always like visiting the Iowa's Best Burger I'm a good, I'm, I, I think you can't go wrong with a good burger. You really can't, especially when you go to a new restaurant. You mm-hmm. always know, you know it's a good restaurant if his, if the burger's good. So. Absolutely. I agree. Well, with that, Madison, let's hop over and look at where the market's closed for today. We're going to have Brian Grossman on here in just a couple of minutes to give us an outlook here on markets from this week moving forward, kind of what happened with the WASDI and definitely soybeans kind of crapped the bed today. But if you have interest in learning about the Zaner Group strategy or need help putting together your marketing package, give them a call today at 312-277-0050. Looking here at the front month, the March corn contract down a penny and a half today to close at 372 and three quarters, while the May down a penny and a half as well to end at 380 and three quarters. As I mentioned, soybeans not looking so pretty today. The March contract lost nine and a half cents to end at 9.05 even, while the May down nine and a half as well to close at 9.19 and a quarter. The wheat pit looking a little bit more optimistic with the March contract up a penny to close at 5.18 and a quarter, while the May up a penny as well to close at 5.20 and a half. Looking over into the livestock markets, lots of green on the screen today. The February live cattle contract up 45 cents to close at 127.82 and a half, while the April up 37 and a half cents to close at 128.30. In the feeder cattle pits, the March contract up 57 and a half cents to close at 144.67 and a half, while the April up 77 and a half cents to close at 146.67 and a half. In the lean hog pits, seeing a little bit of strength today with a February front month contract up 12.5 cents to close at 55.17. The April up 65 cents to close at 59.07.5. And rounding out our markets with the dairy markets, Class 3 Milk Futures February contract up a penny to close at 13.99, while the March up 10 cents to close at 14.69. Without further ado, I'm going to kick it off here to my conversation with Brian Grossman. 
Well, for today's Market Monday, I've got Brian Grossman from Zaner Group, who is the market strategist for the ag department or ag hedge over there at Zaner. Brian, thanks so much for breaking down the markets for me today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Delaney. It definitely was an interesting Monday here to get the week started. Oh, absolutely. And I think we just we have to start here with the soybean markets. We had the WASDI come out Friday. The markets didn't really react to it, it seemed like. And now today, the front month contract here in March, we're down nine and a half cents. Brian, what is going on? Well, I said it to a client here earlier today is when we saw the numbers on Friday, everybody's hopes that the yield was going to come in significantly smaller and move us away from a 900 billion bushel carryout ultimately led to everybody just going home and drinking Friday away. And well, here we are Monday (laughs) with one heck of a soybean hangover. That is a great way to put that. I love it. So you think today the markets have finally factored in that we didn't lower the yield and now they're like, oh, crap, and just dropped on the day. That's what it was. Exactly. Now that we have a fixed supply number, it comes down to crush or exports to really move the needle off of that 910 billion bushels. So we really can only put more hope into the export market as crush has been. I mean, how much more can we ask for mm-hmm. out of that one? Well, now talking about crush, we did see on Friday the WASDE report raised soybean crush, the forecast there, by 10 million bushels. Is that enough to give us a little spark in the market, or are we just going to have to see that actually come to fruition to give some support? So as of right now, I think that number was more so an expected number because we have been on a pretty good tear here for the crush numbers. So ultimately, I think that number by the end of this marketing year is going to break the 2.1 billion bushel mark. But from a year-over-year point of view, it's really not that big of an increase. Going from uh, market year 16-17 to 17-18, we saw a phenomenal increase. And even the prior years before that, we were seeing a big uptick in crush. And you look at just through uh, 2018 here, the months that we typically see a real big pullback, such as September, we're not getting those big ones, or we at least didn't here this year. So seeing that crush number moving up, it's great to see it moving up, but we've become very comfortable to a high crush demand, and exports really is the problem. Well, yeah, that's what my next question was going to be, is if we have this increased soybean crush, even if it's not very much, do we have the demand for that, for that crush or for the oil or for the end product there? Uh, for the product side, we may. I'm a little concerned that we won't because Argentina does have a bigger crop this year, and Argentina mm-hmm. is the world's largest crusher or exporter of soy meal. They might give us a little bit more competition, but I am optimistic crush as a whole, more so off of the biofuels, the soy oil, because the December NOPA crush report really took me by surprise with a sharply lower soy oil stock than what I was expecting. Hmm. And just for frame of reference, because honestly, I guess when I think about it, I, I know you can use soy oil to cook with, but what are some other uses that would increase the soy oil demand? Biodiesel is okay. one of them. Hmm. Okay, that makes sense then, I guess, especially as we look at uh, the renewable fuels push. Um, Brian, talking a little bit more about Friday's report, um, obviously a lot of producers have probably had some time now to digest that report. Are there any big ticket things 
coming out of Friday's report that it's like, okay, I need to probably create a marketing plan around X, or maybe I should reevaluate something because of X from Friday's report. It actually would come out of the corn market. So there was a lot of positive things in what we saw in these numbers for corn. And the biggest takeaway that I immediately noticed was off of the quarterly grain stock. We had a record quarter one demand on corn getting all the way over last, or excuse me, 2016's quarter one record. So now we had a draw of 4.6 billion bushels. That is phenomenal. But then you look to the WASI report and you see the USDA lowering feed and residual. You see them lowering ethanol. Those are all concerns for me. One of them of which the swing in feed and residual, I've wondered, is that them showing that they may not be entirely confident on the yield and are somewhat kicking that can down the road to the March 1st WASI or March 1 uh, quarterly stock number, which may have a surprise coming from there, hmm. but seeing them cutting back on ethanol is a concern. You know, we have, I know the ethanol market has been under severe pressure and with uh, ethanol plants being idled across the country, we may be greatly disappointed with quarter two, three, and four demand. So I guess going off of that a little bit, Brian, with the ethanol demand, is it, are we, in a point where we're just not seeing the demand? Has the government adjusted numbers too much in one direction? Uh, you know, the biggest problem there is the continuous hardship waivers that the uh, EPA mm -hmm. continues to grant big oil. So that is putting pressure on the oil market. And we've also lost some of our big export markets. And, you know, this could be a big thing with the upcoming trade negotiations. China was a big buyer of ethanol. They have big hopes of becoming a major consumer of ethanol. So we'll see how that plays out. There's definitely the potential for ethanol to get a huge boost out of this. Yeah, absolutely. I know that's definitely a market a lot of corn producers are watching. What about when you look at from the WASD report, we saw yield for corn lowered about two bushels an acre. Does that change the acreage number for you at all, Brian? No, not so much. Um, it really wasn't that big of a difference. We were expecting a lower yield. And ultimately, when you look to the WASD, the ending stock number did not change all that much. It did come down, but just marginally. Okay. And Brian, I think the other big thing when you look at corn and soybeans especially is we've been stuck in a range here for quite a little while. What's it going to take for us to get out? And is corn going to pull soybeans or is soybeans going to pull corn? Um, you know, I've been optimistic that corn was eventually going to be the one that would pull soybeans. And if you look to last year, it took the corn market to get out of this range bound trade until we got into March. Now that was partially boosted by Brazil having a drought, but I'm going to remain optimistic that we're eventually going to come out of this winter slumber and get more fired up about what's going on, not only just in South America, but we're going to be on a hotter topic of what are we planting here and just that much closer to the volatile planting season. So what are Zaner's or what are Brian Grossman's estimates here for acreage as you look at the 2019 crop year? Ooh, so I am around 93 million acres on the corn. Okay. I 
give or take, I'm for now I'm at 86 million acres on hmm. soybeans. I question if the cotton number, I saw here earlier today, the Cotton Council did a survey and they were calling for like 14.4 million acres of cotton. And then you go to egg Twitter and realize how many cotton producers out there did not play any role in that survey. So I don't know how they go about getting that data, but I really wonder that given the collapse that we've seen in the cotton market and the rate of cancellations that we're getting for the export side, it may not be as willing to pick up acres. And if cotton doesn't pick up acres, are we going to see that then converted into soybeans or is there another commodity we should be watching, Brian? I think it'll go to soybeans. Um, there may be some acres such as uh, in the Georgia area that may go to peanuts, but mm. ultimately the majority I think will go to soybeans. Okay. Brian, let's talk a little bit about cotton because you're kind of our resident expert to uh, talk to softs markets. Last week we saw week over week, I think it was like a dollar thirty-two, a dollar forty, like something like that, that plummeted from the week before. What's going on there? You mentioned cancellations of exports. Yeah, so the cotton market is still recovering from a long-term hangover, and that's mm. kind of my slogan here with a lot of markets. But you got to remember last year, cotton just was on fire. There was a crunch for high-quality fiber, and countries, specifically China here, was aggressive on buying a boatload of cotton. In fact, when we started this marketing year, China was already over 100% booked compared to their three-year average, at one point getting nearly 120% booked. So now those cancellations are starting to come through. Was China ever intending to take those? I don't know, probably not. But now the cancellations are weighing on us and these high hopes that the 15 million bale export forecast is going to go higher is starting to get diminished. Then you add in the fact that the USDA did not all that much reduce production on Friday. It's going to be a little bit of a struggle here until we get the futures market into a bit of a more normal market. As you look at the board, March definitely down from where it was, but um, it has some uh, some demand issues here to work out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one industry, or I guess really the industries that haven't been having demand issues have been the protein markets. Brian, we've got live cattle up today in the February contract up 45 cents. March feeders up 57.5 cents. What's going on in the cattle markets that uh, made them turn green today? So live cattle are just continuing with their upward trend. They are trading nicely in a channel moving higher. If you look back towards the end of January, we did have that real ugly day mm -hmm. that is beginning to give some indication that the live cattle market may begin to weaken. But uh, feeder cattle here, I'm hoping the live cattle will keep going and the feeder cattle bounce is eventually going to come out of this trading range that it is just stuck in here. Today was a nice little day to get over the 50-day moving average, but we've seen this so many times before. I'm trying to keep my optimism in check. <laughs> keep your optimism in check. What about the lean hog markets? Are we going to hit a bottom here anytime soon? Boy, you know, 
I sure would think so. I really felt like we would have found one here um, back at the flip of the month when we started mm -hmm. February. We had that big reversal, and I just didn't think we were going to keep falling out of bed because this, of all the markets, does have really good demand, and it's got a wonderful fear factor story right. going. Not only is China's hogs all dying, but even Japan is having mm -hmm. problems now. I know, and that's the crazy part is, well, especially with the Chinese New Year, the Lunar New Year, their biggest time to consume pork, we really haven't seen that, or maybe we have, but we just saw it factored in too early into the hog markets, and now we're kind of over that story. What's your take on that, Brian? That could be a possibility. I mean, markets always overreact in one direction or another, but at this point, I think we're into the overreaction to the downside, and we're going to eventually have to find that equilibrium somewhere, in my opinion, around that 68 to 71. Okay, 68 to 71. Brian, before I let you go, let me know and let us know how can folks interact with you on social media or get a hold of you if they have any questions for maybe their marketing strategies. For sure. You can reach me by phone at 312-277-0119. But I also am very active on social media, and you can find me on Facebook and Twitter under the handle of AgHedgeBrian. Awesome. Brian, thank you so much for breaking down the markets for me today. You bet. Thanks for having me, Delaney. All right. Well, another big thank you there to Brian Grossman on today's hashtag Market Monday episode. Madison, we're going to have to get you in here pretty soon so you can learn the market chatter. <laughs> that sounds good. I am willing to learn a lot more about the market, especially just because I haven't really been around that kind of thing. Um, but I always, my dad, that's what my dad does. Right. Us, so... Oh, well, interesting to hear. Maybe we should interview your dad. How do you think he'd feel about that if he if his daughter was interviewing him? He'd probably think it was a joke if I asked him about <laughs> it. <laughs> well, we uh, we might have to have him on sometime, folks. If you know of other people we should be interviewing or chatting with on the podcast, feel free to drop us a note on Facebook, Twitter, or on our new home, globalagnetwork.com. Of course, you can inter interact with us on any of those three sites. Or if you have suggestions or comments, we'd love to hear them. Madison, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. Bye.